Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Rico Podcast, a special episode of the SCA Podcast. I'm James Harper, filling in for Peter Giuliano for this episode. The Rico Podcast is dedicated to new thinking, discussion, and leadership in specialty coffee, featuring talks, discussions, and interviews from Rico Symposium, SCA's premier event dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who are driving specialty coffee forward. You can find videos of these talks on our YouTube channel. Just follow the link in the show notes. This episode of the Rico podcast is supported by Toddy. For over 50 years, Toddy brand cold brew systems have delighted baristas, food critics, and regular folks alike. By extracting all the natural and delicious flavors of coffee and tea, Toddy cold brew systems turn your favorite coffee beans and tea leaves into fresh cold brew concentrates that are ready to serve and enjoy. Learn more about Toddy at toddycafe.com. Toddy, cold brewed, simply better. And I want to give you a heads up that the Rico Symposium and the Specialty Coffee Expo are coming to Boston this April. To learn more or to purchase tickets, visit ricosymposium.org. So today, we're very happy to present the third and final episode of Evolution of Innovation, How New Ideas Will Shape Specialty Coffee, a session recorded at the Rico Symposium this past April. This session offered a glimpse of new ideas from some leading thinkers in specialty coffee and a discussion of how they are likely to shape the future of our industry. If you haven't listened to episodes 33 and 34, we strongly recommend going back to listen to them before you continue with this episode. On this episode of the Rico Podcast, we're pleased to welcome Daniel Jones, CEO and founder of Bext360. His company provides traceability and financial solutions for the coffee, palm oil, cotton, seafood, and timber industries, utilizing blockchain, AI, and traceability markers. He has over 20 years of experience living and working in frontier markets, including China, DR Congo, and India. He has professional roots in technology, finance, electronic commerce, and emerging economies. At Rico Symposium in April, Daniel argues that there's a huge opportunity to improve traceability in our supply chain using innovations in technology. this session, I'd like to introduce Dan Jones. Um, he's the founder and CEO of Bext360, a company that's using technology and artificial intelligence to not only streamline supply chain dynamics, but also to push performance and reward quality, as well as create a system of accountability that will be documented and unalterable from the first point of contact to the last. Uh, and I'd like to tell you more about the technology specifically, but frankly, I understand about as much about blockchain as I did about uh, quantum physics in high school, which is to say, not terribly much, and that's why I'm in coffee today. Um, so I don't have to, thankfully. Dan's right here, and he's probably the better person to do it anyway. Um, so I please join me in welcoming to the innovation stage, um, Dan Adons of Bex360. Well, thanks everyone and good morning, I guess. Um, it's great to be here, it's an honor to be here. And I start off with a question. How many of you were naked last night? Let's, hands in the air. How many of you wanted to be naked last night? Hands in the air. But how many of you woke up this morning and stood in front of a mirror and stared at yourself naked for five minutes, let's say? I did just so I could raise my hand. 
I, I challenge you to say that that's what your customers are doing right now to your supply chains. They're trying to see that type of detail. I'll start this off by um, really thanking SCA. I mean, we've had some great collaboration and great acceptance from people like Sarah Mason and Angel Mario from uh, Shift Social, from GLC to Coda to Jay. It's just been the most accepting industry I've ever worked in, honestly. And I think events like this talk about collaboration and they bring us into the mix. Um, and I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, this all started about five years ago or seven years ago, where we, we started a, a conflict-free uh, supply chain out of the Eastern Congo. And what we found was that there was a huge opportunity to change the way these supply chains work by using innovative technology. And we were shot at in those cases. We haven't been shot at in the coffee industry yet, but I'm sure there, there are bad actors out there and there are reasons why traceability will really help. And I like to view you know, collaboration, innovation. This has been a big subject. I like to say innovation is the enabler of efficient collaboration. You think about all the technology that's around us really it brings us together and enables us to collaborate even faster. Whether it's technology like this, or whether it's cameras, or whether it's the blockchain and artificial intelligence, we drive towards this, this responsible company. I don't know if you know the book by Pat, the Patagonia founder. I love the phrase that he says, you know, 31% of our supply chain is good. And just the fact that we can have that kind of metric, I think is really important for industries and to drive change throughout the industry. So innovation, you know, we think about innovation and what's changed, you know? Uber, right? I mean, can you imagine life without Uber at this point? What happened to Blockbuster? You know, Netflix came along, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. And now we have these supply chains, coffee, cocoa, palm oil, timber, all kind of industries that have a huge impact on global warming, on the individuals that serve these industries. The numbers are staggering of how many people get their sustenance from just these, these industries. Now, what's gonna happen that is what I wanna talk about today a little bit. Is it really technology? I think uh, Meister touched upon it. Like, is it the technology that Uber implemented or is it just the right time to implement those technologies? I would say it's not technology itself, but it's the infrastructure. And we'll talk a little bit about the infrastructure that's available, um, not only in the country of origin, but has been developed for autonomous cars, et cetera, et cetera. It's also, when you think about these industries, it always has to do with some kind of financial payment system. It always has some way of changing the way in which we pay or the way the goods are moved or the way that we can interact with the suppliers of the goods. And finally, it's consumer demand. Can you imagine going back to a non-Amazon world or driving to Blockbuster? It's just not gonna happen. So once people can see that this type of transparency is available or these types of business systems are available, they won't go back. And I'm gonna talk a lot about really what I would say is the collaboration, the ultimate collaboration, which is between the consumers of the goods and the producers of the goods. Everything we do and everything I think that has shown to be effective in a business sense, has always been the collaboration between the big groups of people, which are our consumers and the producers of the goods. So the macro trends, market demand. I thought it was great yesterday. You know, just the statistics in the coffee industry, 50% increase by 2032, this huge supply and demand gap, which is both an opportunity and a, obviously a, a, debt, a, a liability people, I think. It, but it gives, if the producers of coffee can see this type of demand, supply demand fundamentals, it puts them in more control of the supply chain, which I think technology can help them deliver more goods. Farm to table, bean to brew, whatever you want to call it, it's the idea that people want to have this experience with where their food comes from. Whether it's a tomato or whether it's coffee or whether it's organic cotton, they want to know that that is real. They want to know that they're not being greenwashed. And the country's origin, 
if you think about the changes, this is what happened in DR Congo, is that we would go source coltan at an artisanal mine, and we'd come back and pay cash, and we'd come back to our um, place that we were staying, and we'd see people interacting on the street with phone credit, right? They'd be exchanging phone credit for, for their goods. And lastly, technology. And the technology you know, that's out there, the blockchain, whether it's been developed for Bitcoin or whether it's been de developed for us, the IoT, the machine vision, all these things, none of it got developed for us, right? None of it got developed, it was developed for autonomous cars, but it's all kind of there for the taking right now. And I think it's the perfect kind of combination of scenarios to really fundamentally change the way these supply chains work. So country of origin, you know, the old business models, they're all based on lack of electricity, limited access uh, to, to phone service, cash payments, limited capital, only foreign markets for their goods, which is rapidly changing. They kind of form this essence of these supply chains. And you know, some of these supply chains that we've all seen in the field are really based in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Spreadsheets, carbon coffee pieces of paper. And now there's a whole different way of looking at business on the ground. So this fundamental change in the country of origin allows these technologies to take hold and to be able to provide payments. It's not gonna happen in one year or two years. We, we always say that we're looking 10, 20 years down the road as we, as we develop these technologies to implement them in the field. Back to the naked analogy. I know a lot of you have heard the palm story stories, obviously, out of Indonesia, but your customers, and really in some senses, no matter where you are in the supply chain, probably know more about your supply chain than you do. I mean, often you don't wake up and stare at yourself naked or look at your partners naked to find those flaws in your supply chain. But I'd encourage us, you know, as a, as a resolution, not just an SCA resolution, but to do this every day, is really dig down into those supply chains and really take an honest look of what your suppliers are doing, what your NGOs are doing, what your co-ops are doing, what your, everyone involved in your business and take responsibility for that. That's why we're, we're developing what we're developing. So, you know, I won't go too much into this, but consumers are driving this traceability. They see it in other areas of their lives and they want to get, not get to that standard coffee page that has a picture of a farm, a picture of a farmer, a dot on a GPS map, and they can't click, right? You can't go any deeper usually into that. I mean, people are innovating in that area. But eight out of 10 customers check the origin of their food, right? It's no different in coffee. You know these stories. 72% of millennials will pay more. Companies of positive impact. Sustainably sourced, 65% of people say they enjoy foods that are natural or organic. The things that are important to people, they want to know, and they have a high level of this, what I call a BS meter. They know when they're being greenwashed. They can go check to see if they're being greenwashed. How do we do this? How do we actually start making a change in the way that we can analyze and track these supply chains. So the blockchain, I mean, everyone's heard about the blockchain. It's a great technology, but really think of it as a spreadsheet or as, a, as an ability for everyone to know the transaction that's happened. So if two people had a, traction over, a transaction over here, everyone in the room would know that transaction. And that's a really powerful concept, which I'll demonstrate a little bit in terms of finance. Smart contracts, traceability, transparency. And separate from that, I would say, is the cryptocurrencies which are the digital payments, which is the ability to take and use the blockchain in a very similar manner to the way that banks can value inventory. So we can take that type of technology that's inherent in the blockchain and bring the real world into the digital world, which I think is really important in terms of financing the supply chain. AI and machine learning, I know Freedom's not a big AI fan. She says she likes the blockchain. But we view machine learning as the ability to rapidly diagnose and, and do uh, analysis of, of commodities at all levels, especially at the green level, at the cherry level, all the way through the supply chain.
and markers. This is something that you know, we've talked about, but there's the idea of putting markers into the field, whether it be a simple RFID tag, which most of us have experienced with, or it be more sophisticated items like DNA sequencing, uh, unique identification, putting a device to recognize bacteria in the air so that we could know that that, that data that's actually put into the blockchain is real, right? Because crap data in, crap data out. So the example is machine analysis. So a seller would bring 60 kilograms of coffee for sale and machine analysis and they pay the farmer. It doesn't have to be a machine. It can be an individual, it can be a third party. But the idea here is that at the very origin of that coffee, I know everyone, when I talk about this, people get a little upset. There is definitely a correlation between what that cherry looks like and the quality of coffee that comes out. And it's specific to every region and it's specific to every day and it's specific to all these other factors, but there is a correlation. So what we do is we analyze every cherry, and what makes this possible is the technology, the infrastructure that we're talking about. From machine vision for autonomous cars, we're able to actually analyze every single cherry, about 10,000 objects per minute, 166 objects per second, make an inference in under two milliseconds, under 10 milliseconds, I'm sorry, and have time to sort it in real time. The fascinating part about this technology is that all of this type of capability on our machines is cost less than $500. So there's no real limitation. We spend more on the aluminum and the other products are shipping than we do on the technology that allows this to happen. So we analyze the 360 degree view of the cherry and then we assign it a score, right? We actually assign it a cupping score, which I know is really controversial. So every cherry gets a cupping score as it comes through our, our machine, right? Yeah, I get calls all the time, usually from like a landline at Blockbuster, People saying, I'm gonna taxi over there and this is not gonna work. But we do see correlations. We're, this correlation is really important. So the machine analyzes, like I said, and every, every cherry gets determined, and then we're able to sort as it comes through in real time. Oops. So there's been some great inventions, right? Where does the blockchain fit into this whole sequence of things? You know, these are obviously things that are important. There's been cultural ones, right? Which I would put coffee in the cultural ones too. There's some that are more important than others depending on your situation. <laughs> There's the light bulb, obviously. There's things that are, are intangible and not really relatable to most people. And then what we all love, which is part of the reason I got into this industry in the first place is that there is an invention here. But where does blockchain fit in? So blockchain, I'd say, has you know, many pillars. The first is this idea of just a general ledger where you can exchange information, you lock those transactions in from step to step to step. The second would be applying that type of technology to cryptocurrencies. The third would be kind of what IBM's touting, which is not so cryptocurrency, but it's the ability to track data as it goes through. So a bunch of data gets collected, and I'll walk through this, and then it gets hashed and put into the blockchain so that at the end of that sequence, we have that immutable record of the, of the transactions going back. And then there's this co commodity, which is what we're doing, which is the ability that instantaneously, as we assign those scores, we give it a value. We actually turn it into a cryptocurrency that has an exchangeable value in the real world. And the future of this, I think, is integrating this with IoT devices, integrating it with banking and other industries. So a quick example. Farmer brings in, uh, uh, what I'd say there, 28 kilograms of, of cherry. It has a date, it has a transaction. It has all this data that we want to use to tell the story or we want to use to be able to prove to our customer that we sourced it ethically and sustainably. 
We take that information, we put it through what's called a hash function, which reduces it into a very kind of crypto level um, uh, set of data that we can put into the blockchain. The second piece would be the actual quality of the data, right? So in this case, we have you know, 11 kilograms of 82s and 17.5 kilograms, to keep it simple, a varietal, and we put that into the blockchain as well. We verify that, and then we place that into the block. And that's just the, the first step, right? It could go through all these other steps before it gets to the, either the green export or it gets to the consumer themselves. The other part of this is that we can put markers on there. We can put, have DNA markers that are inherent to that location. Um, and then we could also have that verification at the roaster level to say that product did come from that location at that time. So, you know, the ability, back to the naked analogy, is that it takes courage to look at yourself, right? And I encourage everyone in this industry and across all these industries that we're trying to serve to really look at that. So the blockchain will enable, and I will speed up here a little bit, but the farmers and cooperatives, all this data can flow through. Every node can have its own data, whether it be you know, fermentation time, whatever data you want to gather can be gathered in the blockchain and then you can use that information at the cupping stage or at the consumer stage to draw those correlations back. You can think of it as AI, as if, you know, if, if you're buying something you don't usually buy with your credit card, your bank flags you. But this will identify those types of things as well. All the way back to the source and the origin. And so you can provide that data as you see fit to your customers. So here's a quick example. And I think, you know, when we talk about blockchain, we talk a lot about traceability. But what I saw in the field, I lived in Congo for seven years and in India for, two, for a year and a half, is that, and most of the people I've talked to at the conference that are small producers say capital is the key, right? If we can provide more capital to the farmer or more capital to the, the small producer or to the cooperative, then we, we can improve the way that they can sell their coffee, increase their wages. So whether it's a bank or a multilateral organization or an NGO, people want to have the exporters, the cooperatives or the smallholders want to have that loan. And so what the blockchain enables us to do is to have a smart contract where that information can be locked in from the very beginning. So the bank is giving a working capital loan, for example, to buy coffee cherry. The bank wants to know that that borrower is really using that to buy coffee cherry. They don't want it to buy a truck. They don't want it to buy a house. They want it to buy a coffee cherry because that asset will transition through the supply chain and become worth something. So what we can do in the blockchain is we can establish our own, let's call it a coffee uh, cherry token, a CTT. And those tokens can be given to that third party that, that analyzes the goods at the point of collection. As the farmer brings in their cherry or their parchment or whatever it might be, those tokens can then be transitioned to that farmer. Um, so now, as, the, as those cherries enter the supply chain, they have a value, right? They have a value that's been determined by some subjective or objective means, and they actually can be exchanged for real goods. So think about your balance sheet. So every bank wants to see your balance sheet. No longer is it just a number that needs to be verified. The bank has to come out and inspect your, your inventory. It's right there, instantaneously. And as, that trans, as it traverses the supply chain, it increases in value, right? All the way to the end, and then the roaster has to pay the accounts payable, right? So they have accounts payable, accounts receivable that's stored within the smart contract. And there's 30 or 60, 180 day payment terms. By the way, if your company has more than 180 payment terms, then you should change companies. That's a controversial thing. <laughs> so that payable will enter into the accounts payable. And then the smart contract will handle the distribution of those funds. So the bank doesn't have to worry about the, about the risk of the actual lendee. So the accounts receivable would, would receive their payment. The bank would receive their payment in terms of principal and interest. 
and the remainder could be transferred into fiat currency and returned to the, to the, uh, the person that borrowed the money. So in this sense, we can, we can inject more and more capital into the supply chain. There's about a $2 trillion uh, loan gap in small businesses just in Africa. So this is where the blockchain, I think, really fits in. The other element is complete transparency. Um, again, to this example, we can provide, sorry, is that if, this, if these goods are coming along to that, complete transparency to the bank and to the exporter, but who's missing here, right? It's the farmer or the producer, whatever you want to call them. And the, the cupper would then determine the quality, and maybe at that point, the smart contract guarantees that the, they get that payment. We call this like a bonus payment, right? A premium payment. At export, again, if the goods are valued higher than, or at a certain value, we can again have the smart contract guarantee that payment is made back to the farmer or back to the producer. And that's a fair trade payment in essence. And at the end, the consumers, can, based upon their perceptions, can either you know, tip the community, and again, the smart contracts can handle that all instantaneously, all without spreadsheets, all without carbon copy pieces of paper, and provided by an objective third party, which is the blockchain. So we talked a little bit about bank lending. This can happen in the bill of lading. It's something that I think is a really interesting concept. If you've ever exported something, you really love the bill of lading. But digitizing that process and making that faster, obviously, and providing insurance on the, on the, during, during the uh, transport of goods, it's a really important concept. Markers. I think this is the, the innovation that will fundamentally change the way traceability happens. And whether it be tagging or DNA or what we call advanced markers, is the ability to capture that at a specific time. And now back to the blockchain, you'll be able to say this marker was added to this batch at this time by this person. And at the other end, we have this verification step. So we'll be able to say that this was, that this was truly good data that went into the system. So transparency, I think you know, a lot of this has to do with sustainability, and I think the challenge here is, is to use this type of data to bring it back to, the, to, to proving that we are good actors in the, in the, in the supply chain. So you know, this is Transparency International says, the surest way of guarding against corruption is, is to have transparency. So I think either whether we share that information with our customers or we wake up every morning and look at ourselves naked and look at our suppliers naked and really judge whether these are actors that we want to be involved with, because certainly our consumers, our buyers, are going are gonna to want to see this. And this has been shown over and over, whether it's the palm industry, whether it's the cotton industry, whether it's the timber industry, we are part of global warming. Whether we, we think we are or not, is that this industry, along with a, a lot of others, are causing global warming. And that trend, I think, over the next 10 years will become a very important issue to our consumers. And so the ability to put non-subjective time series measurements and track those to do what they call measurement and evaluation, I think is a key part of how innovation in this industry has to happen. Whether it's the NGOs, whether it's the cooperatives, whether it's the intermediates, whether it's tech companies, I think that's a really innovative, using technology to do this and providing that transparency becomes paramount. And lastly, is the idea of this contra consumerism. What we try to say is that consumers and farmers are the ones that really need to collaborate, right? We like to say that we can provide data that says this school was funded. Six months later, we can say the school was built. Six months later, we can say that the first graduating class was from there. And really allow those consumers to have that interaction with the communities their coffee comes from. And lastly, is the idea of, of trusted collaboration and consensus. You know, we all have ideas of what a living wage should be or what transparency really means or what governance means. 
But I think the, the blockchain and other technologies can enable this in a way where we can avoid the outliers, people that don't necessarily agree with the way the world should work and come to a consensus standard that we all can agree with and see where everyone stands in that. I think this is a really powerful tool to allow everyone, everyone, not just the people in this room, to participate in these, in these standards. And that's it. I, think, I appreciate you guys' time. And hope that That was Daniel Jones at Rico Symposium this past April. Remember to check our show notes to find a link to the YouTube video of this talk and a link to the speaker bios on the Rico website. This has been the Rico podcast, brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by Toddy. And don't forget, the Rico Symposium and the Specialty Coffee Expo are coming to Boston this April. To learn more or to purchase tickets, visit ricosymposium.org.